Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Thanks so much. You may have a seat. And if you have your Bibles and you wish to, I would invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we have a couple of weeks left in the book of Hebrews. Um, One of the perks of my job, and this is going to sound funny or odd or morbid, but one of the best perks of my job is doing funerals and memorial services. And that's not because I enjoy death or seeing people die, but because without exception, Every funeral and memorial service that I've ever done has been a learning opportunity for me to to garner some wisdom, to either see here's what life apart from Christ looks like, and here's what life in Christ can look like. And so sometimes it's a cautionary tale, sometimes it's an inspirational story, I get this benefit. So let me tell you about my friend Bob, who we did his funeral two weeks ago. In fact, Bob in the first service would sit right back over here. Bob died at 102 years old, not a bad run, right? And at his memorial service, I had the opportunity to say, you know, Bob loved his family. His family sat right here. There's no perfect family. Is there? No. Everyone's got family. No perfect family, but a loving family. He loved them well. Bob loved his friends. In fact, get this, I've done funerals for people half his age that didn't have half as many people in it. This place was... Bob had a lot of best friends, we'll put it like that. He never lost that skill of making new friends. But here's the story that stood out most, and I share this with permission from the family. Bob served in World War II in the Pacific Theater. He was on a Japanese sub-hunter, but also was a part of the invasion of Okinawa. And so when he went on shore during this invasion, They were working through an area, there was an abandoned house, very likely this house was booby-trapped, and so being the commander, he was the first one in. Fortunately, it was not booby-trapped, but he did come across the body of a dead Japanese soldier, and out of his shirt was sticking a Japanese flag. And that Japanese soldier had used it as a talisman, it had writing all over it, and Bob took that as a reminder of that invasion event. When he got back to the States, he put the flag away and didn't think about it much until several years later. A friend was looking at that flag with him, and this friend could read Japanese. And what, no, what they noticed is that on this flag were not just well wishes, these were names of family members of this deceased soldier. So you know what Bob did? He found the family, and he returned that flag to them. Who does something like this? I tell you who does something like this, a follower of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, love your family. He said, love your friends. And by the way, he also said, love those who are labeled as your enemies. In fact, Jesus says, the only sure way to eliminate your enemies is to love them. I believe that every life has something great that we can learn. Would you hang on to that idea as we get into Hebrews chapter 12? So we just have a few more weeks in Hebrews, but here's, here's the way I look at this book. 75% of Hebrews, from Hebrews 1.1 to 10.19, is about who. Whole book, first 75% of Hebrews is about who Jesus is. The last 25% is who we can be 
in a relationship with Him. So here's who Jesus is, and as a result of that, here's how we should live. So that's the portion that we're in right now. See Jesus, but when you see Jesus, here's the kind of person you are to be. And Hebrews 12.1 says this, Since then we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So something's happening in this passage that we need to go back to understand. And in order to understand Hebrews 12, verse 1, we need to understand all that happens in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Because the writer goes back in time, and he goes through all these older brothers and sisters in faith and said, there's something to be learned from every life, just like my friend Bob, right? So quick question, how many of you are the youngest sibling in your family, a.k.a. the perfect child. Let me go ahead and see your hand, okay. Well, there's a lot of us in here today. All right. So, um, you, you know, and I say that unreservedly because your parents had you and said, this is the peak of perfection. So we're going to stop having kids now. Either that or they were just too tired to continue on, right? Um, so the bad part of being the youngest kid, this is just my grown-up family, is I would be the last one to take a bath. And I don't mean to be the last one to take a bath in new water. I mean, my brother would take a bath. My parents would leave the water in. My sister would then take a bath. The, the water would be left in. Sometimes the dog would hop in after my sister. <laughs> and then I would take the bath last, right? And so going home this time, I remembered this. And I go, were we so poor that we couldn't afford hot water? What was the deal? And my dad said, it's all perspective, because he grew up on a farm. He said, try being the seventh person in a bath, okay, where you bathe once a week, right? So in perspective, I think that's fine. But having older siblings is messy. But here's the great benefit about being the youngest kid, is I learned from all my brother and sister's mistakes. I saw them bang their head against the wall that was my father's will, and they never won. So I go, I have to take a little different tactic on this. So having older siblings is a benefit because, yeah, it's messy, but also there are some great messages that you can learn. Do you realize that as of right now, we are the youngest siblings in the faith family? We are alive today, and one day we will not be here. There will be more siblings that will come after us, but we have the opportunity to look back since then, we are surrounded by such this great cloud of witnesses, this huge family of faith. So what I wanted to do with Hebrews 11, I thought it'd be fun just to put it on a dartboard and just throw darts and just to see what names popped up. I decided that probably was not the best way to go about it. But I would like to highlight a couple of people that I think are very important here. Verse 4 of Hebrews 11, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. If you remember Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, Cain, the farmer, Abel, the rancher, something about Cain's offering was not quite up to par, but Abel brought God his very best. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did, and if you remember what happened, Abel was murdered. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Probably the best summation, the thing we can learn here. But by the way, Abel's a pretty good person to look at today if you feel like life has been unfair. Because Abel did right, but then he was done wrong. 
But now consider this. Unfairness allows faithfulness to be seen in its fullness. I know that's a big thought, but walk that through. Unfairness in life allows our faithfulness to be seen in its fullness because had Abel just given a gift and everything would have gone well for him, that would have been nice. It would be a great footnote in history. But even though life was unfair, he still remained faithful. Unfairness allowed his faithfulness to be seen in its fullness. So the next time life hits you and it's unfair, it's an opportunity not for you to complain, but for you to be faithful. And so here's where we come to Fanny Crosby. You know she wrote 9,000 hymns in her life? I don't know if I've written 9,000 words in my life. 9,000 hymns. In fact, just a few years ago, they discovered another 2,000 songs tucked away in a library in Chicago. What you may not know about Fanny Crosby, and maybe some of you do, she was blind. But she was not born blind. She was born with sight, and a quack doctor on a funky treatment caused her to lose her vision when she was just a few months old. I would say that's unfair. A few months later, her father died. She never knew her father. I would say that's unfair. So when she grew up, she wanted to have a family of her own, and the only time she was able to get pregnant, that child died. And it's believed she wrote a song called Safe in the Arms of Jesus about her daughter, which she never mentioned again. But listen, unfairness allows faithfulness to be seen in its fullness. And just as Abel still speaks, even though he is dead, get this, Fanny Crosby still sings even though that she is dead. We sang her words this morning. She sings on. And you know what? I've known people who haven't dealt with half as much as Fanny Crosby, and they've walked away from the Lord. You don't have to. Unfairness allows faithfulness to be seen in its fullness. Be that person just like Abel. And then you skip down a few verses. Here's verse 7. By faith Noah, you remember him in Genesis 9, when warned about things not seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. So Noah's a really good person to contemplate and consider if you're worried about the world becoming increasingly evil. So now, is the world more evil today than it's ever been before? Well, yes and no. No in terms of, listen, we're still recycling the same old sins that we've always done, okay? There's nothing new under the sun, but there are more sinners on the planet today than ever before. So, being a follower of Jesus has never been easy, but I don't know that it's ever been this hard, okay? So, how do we deal when we are overwhelmed with the evil that's happening in the world around us? Listen, it's easy for you to become callous toward evil. Say, well, this is just the way the world is. Throw up your hands and just wait to go to heaven when you die. Please, go to heaven when you die. But, that was meant to be funny, don't become callous at the evil that's happening around us. There's a story of a, an old surly de deacon that's sitting in the back of his small country church. People are gathering on Sunday morning, and all of a sudden, Satan appears on the platform and all the people rush out the back door, all except this one stubborn deacon that sits here in the back. 
I just pointed at you, Jim. I didn't mean to. I'm just, you just happen to be a deacon sitting on the back row. So Jim is sitting on the back row. That's not. So this old deacon is just sitting on the back row. Everyone else runs out. Satan is surprised. He loves scaring people. This one deacon doesn't budge. So Satan goes out and sits down by this guy and goes, don't you know who I am? He goes, yep, you're the devil. Don't you realize that I can kill you right now with a single word? Yep, don't doubt it for a bit. You realize I can send you to hell and torture you forever? Yep, I know that too. And Satan said, then why aren't you scared of me? And the man said, been married to your sister for 48 years. <laughs> I told that at a conference last week, and right on the front row was a couple that had been married for 48 years. And he was doing this. And she was doing this, right? Did a little marital counseling with them afterwards. You know, we see so much evil in the world, it's just easy to become callous to us. But now here's the other thing. Not only do we become callous sometimes to evil, but we start panicking. Every news story we hear, every new development that's happening on social media, we get real panicky. We are not called to be afraid. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, notice that Noah wasn't afraid because of the evil in his world, nor was he callous. It said instead that he had holy fear. He wasn't afraid. He had holy fear. What does that mean? It means to be overwhelmed by the grandeur and grace of God, that God is bigger than any evil, and he's better than you can possibly ever imagine Evil does not have the final say in the universe. And so we had this holy fear. On this trip, we just returned from a cowboy camp in West Texas. By the way, it's, it's fun to camp, except when it's 100 degrees in West Texas and no air conditioning. Um, we, we got ready to come home, and my wife was like, I'm so glad we're getting in the car. We'll have air conditioning. Well, about Odessa, the air conditioning went out. So... I don't know if I sinned or my wife, but one of us did something. It's probably me. It's been a hot week. One of the best moments, though, is when we went to the McDonald Observatory just outside of Fort Davis near Balmoray, and we looked through a telescope, and we could see Saturn. And I know you've seen pictures online. I know you probably have seen it on TV, but there's nothing like looking through a telescope and seeing it for yourself that here's this object in the sky with this tilted ring, and then to realize it's eight billion miles away, just about as far as Gaiman. <laughs> eight billion miles away. And if you could represent Saturn by a basketball, the ring around Saturn on that scale would be one atom thick. God can do some big things. He also pays attention to the small details as well. You don't have to become callous. You don't have to be afraid. Be overwhelmed with the grandeur and grace of God that is holy fear. Now, there aren't just men in Hebrews 11. There's also women. Look down to verse 11, 11, 11. And by faith, even Sarah, who is past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children even uh, because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Sarah is somebody you really need to pay attention to if life has been disappointing. If life has not turned out the way you thought it would, 
By the way, I just thought I would be a whole lot more confident by my age, you know? I just thought by the time I was 28, 53, I would have a whole lot more things figured out and a whole lot more confidence. But you know what? I wonder if God continues to give us disappointments so that we will depend on Him. And instead of God expecting God to fulfill my expectations, maybe I should be asking this, how can I fulfill God's will, regardless of my personal feelings? As Sandy Wilson, who's a retired pastor of Second Presbyterian in Memphis, Tennessee, says this, I have not substantiated this, but this is his quote. He says, 90% of people who come for pastoral counseling today want to know how to be alleviated from their suffering. He said, 100 years ago, 90% of people who came for counseling were trying to figure out how to serve God in the middle of their suffering. Instead of trying to get out of it, God, what do you want from me right here, right now? So, all of this and so much more brings us back full circle to Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people like Abel and Noah and Sarah, let us throw off everything that hinders the unfairness of life, throw it off. The fearfulness, throw it off. The disappointments, throw all of that off. Throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So here's a couple of walkaway applications. As we move through life, let's encourage one another because we are all still competing, right? We're all in the competition right now, but we're also, we're a part of this great crowd, this great cloud of witnesses for one another. Encourage one another. A few months ago when I was in Hawaii, we left Honolulu for the day and walked up Manoa Falls, which is a beautiful 150-foot waterfall, but to get there, you have to walk a couple of miles. It had been raining, it was muddy, it was slick, but Paula and I were hiking up, and the interesting thing is, as we got in the last half a mile of the, of the fall, and especially the last quarter mile, everyone coming down was encouraging us. They were saying, you're almost there, keep going, don't stop now. And it's interesting that as we turned around and came back, we found ourselves doing the same thing. Listen, Life sucks it out of us, doesn't it? Try that one more time. Life sucks us out of us, doesn't it? Yeah. Breathe life into one another. Encourage, especially those of you who are getting close to the end and you know who you are. Give encouragement to other people who are still on those slippery slopes. Encourage one another. Also, I would say this. Let's encourage one another. We're a part of that great cloud of witnesses for one another. Also, decide that you're going to please only Jesus with your life. That's what it means to fix our eyes on Jesus, that whatever he wants, we do. I think you've all had this experience. You put popcorn in the microwave, you heat it up for two minutes, and still when you get to the bottom of the bag, there's some kernels that are unpopped. You've had that experience, right? Y'all still eat popcorn, don't you? I'm just making sure. Okay. I want you with me here today. Listen, I'm so glad we have air conditioning here this morning. I'm just going to talk all morning long. Okay. 
And we're about, we're about to noon, so it's about done. Listen, you can pop those kernels in the bottom of the bag. You can just keep the microwave on for another minute. But it's going to burn everything else up. Listen, you can spend your whole life trying to please that person or two. But you're going to burn yourself up doing it. We are meant to please one person with our lives. Fix your eyes on Jesus. One more thought, but I'm going to use a story to make this thought. Nolan Ryan, May 1st, 1991, pitched his seventh and final no-hitter at Arlington Stadium. He was 44 years old. That day, he told the pitching coach, he said, listen, you really need to watch me today. I've been popping Advil all day. My back hurts. My heel hurts. I'm in a lot of pain. I don't know how long I'm going to last. And the guy went out and threw a no-hitter. Oh, and watched him. People did. It's about the third inning. They kind of realized that, that Nolan Ryan just had it that day. He was just there. And the most unusual thing happened. When the game started, there were about 33,000 people in attendance at Arlington Stadium. But then as word started getting out that a no-hitter was in progress, word started spreading around the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area, and people started coming to the stadium. And it was the most unusual thing that by the time they got to the ninth inning and he was finishing up his seventh no-hitter, the place was packed. Talk about being surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses. So here's the deal. I don't know how many people are watching you. If you're a leader, probably more than you think. But even if it's just your family that's watching you, that's good too. That's your circle of influence. I don't know how many people are watching you. It doesn't matter. You're not going to pitch a perfect game. But what you can do is fix your eyes on Jesus. You focus there. However many people are watching you, you don't control that. You watch Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Then he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful people so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Let's stand together and let's pray together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.